0: Welcome to Reforming Slavics. Uh, my name is Nick. Hey, and it's, I'm Tom. And, and today we have a guest with us, uh, Nick Doom. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are.
1: Uh, uh, first, I think it's worth noting that I am in no way, shape, or form Slavic. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> oh, maybe somewhere in your
1: heritage. Maybe somewhere in my heritage. I, I, so, um, best I can tell, my last name Doom is a Latvian word. Um, That's Slavic. I, I know... Um, so I have, I have German ancestry and that I knew and like Prussian ancestry, which is right on the border of, uh, of Latvia, kind of in a historic way. Um, so doom is, is the Latvian word. Apparently, um, I'm, I don't speak Latvian, but I was told by someone who did speak Latvian supposedly, again, I couldn't, I couldn't check their Latvian,
0: um, that it means smoke, right? It would, in Russian it would be dim.
1: Okay. So, so close. <laughs> So we're close enough. Um, I am not. I am not Slavic. Then per se, I didn't grow up uh, in any way Slavic culturally. Um, but I would I think I would qualify as reformed um, okay. oh, and, yeah. and and reforming. And <laughs>
2: I think um, so. You're part of. You, you at least have part of that that you're able to come on.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I qualify <laughs> like partially. Um, <laughs> I think I'm reforming more than I'm reformed. And uh, in that, in accordance to the word of God, hopefully. So, of course. Um, so so yeah, that, that's me. Um, I know these two uh, raps, galleons from church. Um, very blessed uh, by their fellowship. Um, and uh, very thankful that they've had me
0: come on today so yeah um and today we're going to be talking about reform theology we were just talking prior to this and um you do have a very um unique perspective that we're just talking in regards to kuyper abraham kuyper right Mm -hmm. and how he views the reformed movement and what it really means so you can get into that a little bit and kind of discuss like the the question i wrote down some questions and one of the biggest ones like what is reformed theology proper Mm -hmm. and what fits into that Mm -hmm. In, in regards to like if, if if I want to actually dive into Reformed theology and not just be a big-headed intellectual and argue minute points, like, why is Reformed theology so important to my life in regards to being a Christian?
2: Yeah,
1: I, I think somewhere, um, somewhere someone said <laughs> something, and I think it's true, uh, something to the effect of— um, you know, the, that the theologians like to argue and, and the less important the point, the harder they'll argue. Um, and I don't think that you've got in mass, particularly in the, in the 20th and 21st century, really the new Calvinism, the neo-Calvinism comes of age in the 21st century and, and in the last 20 to 25 years. Um, we've seen a rebirth of Reformed theology. We've seen a rebirth of Calvinistic theology. Um, and, it's, and it wouldn't have caught so much wind uh, if it were just these kind of dusty um, intellectual ways of thinking about theology, right? Uh, this is this is a life system, and and I think that at at its core, what Reformed theology is is a way of viewing the world as under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Um, in other words, like we, as, as those who have a reformed theology or a reformed foundation for their theology are the people that in the first instance, when they come to the Bible are going to be the people that say, okay, I'm going to go with the Bible wherever it leads. And I'm also going to assume that God as Numbers uh, 23, 19 says, uh, God is not a man that he should lie. God's not the kind of God who would contradict himself, right? So reformed theology has caught wind, as it were, um, among people that said, okay, we're going to follow God wherever he goes.
0: And when we run into obstacles, we go with the word of God rather than our tradition.
1: Right, rather rather than our tradition, certainly, but also that like, Our tradition isn't bad, right? At the end of Revelation, it talks about all the all the nations of the world are bringing their gifts to the New Jerusalem. Like I I think every nation is going to have some unique things to it that are good, Um, but at the same time, like at the end of the day, I'm going to submit to the Word of God. Like I'm going to open my Bible, I'm going to read what it says, and I'm going to be committed, no matter what it says, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me to obeying it. Right. To to obeying it with my mind, to obeying with my hands, to obeying with my um, with my spirit, like whatever I have, whatever it's it's calling upon. That's an essence of me. Like the Lord um, says to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, which to me indicates that those are areas those are realms in which God is to be obeyed. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily like there's overlap. Right. But they're not necessarily all the same. Right? I'm going to obey him with my strength, with my physical self, like with what I do with my body, with my, um, my home, my finance, the physical things of this world, my strength. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to obey him intellectually. Like, I'm going to be um, in, in my mind consistent with the word of God. Um, I'm going to love him. Like, I'm going to obey him from my heart. Right? I'm going to obey him from the inner man, from the soul. Like, I, I'm going to obey him and seek to obey him in every realm of life. Right. D- does that make sense? And I think that that yeah. is your, in the first instance, that would be kind of a Kyperian. Um, and and I think that that probably has some fleshing out to do. But that would be a, a Kyperian or Calvinistic um, marker. Mm-hmm. Right. This is distinctly reformed. This is distinctly Calvinistic. And for and for those listening that are, um, you know, maybe haven't encountered some of these terms before, I think Calvinistic and reformed can be used interchangeably
0: yeah Let, let's say let's say there's a tent right and uh the tent is Reformed theology mm-hmm. um in the view of abraham kuyper um, you can fit everyone who trusts in christ and read scripture that's read scripture without any mediation meaning someone has to determine what that specific passage means as under the Reformed tent, meaning if you read your Bible and you pursue it with your, your, all your heart, soul, and, and might, you would fit into the Reformed camp because your primary devotion is to what God said and to obey what God said. Would, would you, was that kind of the statement that Kuyper would say?
1: I think that's the initial Reformed um, theology. I, I think that's what we're doing here ultimately. And the distinctives of Reformed theology flow from that.
0: Yeah, and and that's why we can continue reforming is because our view or our knowledge of Scripture always is challenged, always improves, and always grows because, you know, the Scripture has an infinite amount of knowledge that we can understand. Not infinite, maybe, but, like, more than anyone in this lifetime can comprehend. Mm -hmm. And so we pursue God through His Word. That would be, like, the—if you would say, like, what does Reformed theology begin with? Um, that's kind of the foundation of what it is, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I think it's, it is an a priori or, or without define a priori, a priori uh, as a Latin term. It means without priors. It means, uh, without, um, any kind of substantial circumstance, right? So we presuppose that we, we do, we presuppose, uh, that we're going to obey God. Right. And that we do that coming to the scriptures, not coming from the scriptures, Okay, t- talk about that real quick. So, so as I'm opening my Bible, I'm assuming that I'm going to obey what's inside of it. I'm not waiting to be convinced of the scriptures in order to obey it. I'm going to obey it. I'm assuming that I'm going to obey it, and then I'm going to open it, and I'm going to hear God speak. Right? I'm, I'm going to hear the voice of, of the Lord himself. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus is the Word of God. Right? He is in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. Right, and and so our scriptures that we that we open uh, in front of us is that is that same word. In fact, in um, in in Second Timothy, where in Second Timothy four two, where it says, "Preach the word, right?" I charge you, Timothy, uh, preach the word in season and out Not of season. season. That same word is the logos. What he's saying is, preach Christ, preach the message, preach the logos of God. Preach. Same logos in John one. Yep, exactly. Same same Greek word. Same same everything. Right. This is this is the word. Um, so yeah, I would say that at at rock bottom, reformed theology is um, in its essence a commitment to obey God, where in whatever God has said in okay. His word.
0: Because the, the the charge, like one of the bigger um, charges against reformed theology in the Slava communi- community, would be that. Reformed theology is always dry. It always leads to head knowledge and it does not provide anything um, Experiential in your life other than your dry kind of ooh, I know a lot of um, theologically uh, dense words or um, I read old dead guys, right? There's no excitement in it. That's that's like the charge against reformed theology, right? and you would say that no because Reformed theology at its core makes you obey God's word and that's what excites your spirit to f- follow and pursue Christ.
1: Exactly. And I think there's a lot of um, guys who would call themselves Reformed or they would call themselves Calvinistic who are committed and, and you know, Lord bless them. They're committed to loving the Lord their God with all their mind. Okay, they're, they're, They are committed to, to loving God uh, with everything they can think and they sit there And they don't, that that thinking doesn't drive them out into the world in obedience to Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? To fulfill the Great Commission.
0: I, I, I would call those like the Reformed bros. I would too. And I think that that
1: has been the marker of Reformed theology. That's been the marker. Like when people think of Reformed theology, they think of the kind of people that are really, really good and useful in a classroom. Yeah. Particularly if that classroom only has them in it.
0: Oh, that's a really good point because when I, when I found out about Reformed theology, it was almost that it gave me some kind of higher value. Like, this is obviously wrong, but in my you know teenage head, it was like, I am now more valuable mm-hmm. as, a, as, as a Christian because yep. I have some kind of unique knowledge and I've discovered something that other people don't know. And I will speak to people about these things, but I'm not inviting in the way of like, hey, look what I found. This is God's word, let me share it with you, is more like I'm better than you because of this. Right.
2: You were in the cage stage. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is which is like when you when you really
1: pare it down, is it's not Gnosticism, but it's a, it looks like it. Right? You have this kind of secret hidden knowledge. Um, this kind of knowledge that's like it, it's the wisdom of the world that, that Paul talks about in Colossians two, right? Don't be don't be held captive to this. To vain philosophies yeah. and Yeah, to philosophies to, to all this
2: so- stuff. So, going back to how we interpret scripture this i hopefully this is on topic, but it has to do with kind of like mm-hmm. with how I started going into uh kind of towards a more uh <clears throat> hyper charismatic kind of understanding of of things, and I started uh having teachers and they would have it like. The way they would interpret scripture would that scripture had had like multiple meanings, and that you could get fresh revelation, you could get a fresh understanding of the scripture if you were just to, like, pursue God enough. And they would say, like, why would you limit God to just one or two, like, one meaning? Like, God's wisdom is so much more. What would you say to that? Um,
0: I guess if if our foundation is pursuing scripture and obeying it to the fullest extent um what are some basics of like knowing what the scripture actually says i would say read it (laughs) (laughs) it's very important
1: and Um, like and and that's what i would say to your to so, so the people that were telling you that right is okay um you have to understand the way the language works okay god has not chosen to reveal himself in this kind of nebulous um, airy way where you can just define it however you feel like it.
0: The yeah. word mystical comes to mind.
1: Right. Yeah. The, no, God has revealed himself in a, a finite amount of space. In fact, it's exactly 66 books. Okay? Um, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Right? Like, it's it's these books. Right? Um, I'm not putting limits on God. God's putting limits on God. Yeah. Right? And... and- the The reality of it is, is that if you think that that's God limiting Himself in some kind of shape of or form of like human understanding, you, you've missed what um, the Bible suggests, or not even suggests, commands that it is. Like the Bible says that it it provides you everything that is necessary um, for life and godliness. Yeah. In, in Second Peter, in in Second Timothy, it says that that. Um, if you know the scriptures, you're equipped for every good work. Second Timothy 3, 6, three sixteen and seventeen. Yeah, right. Like this is the stuff. This is the um, what what the Romans would say in Latin: the sine qua non. Yeah. The 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 not without which you can be human.
2: Yeah. Because if it's if you the scripture can equip you for every good work, then what leaves that? There's nothing that leaves you out of that. There's right. there's no work that. There's every every good work. There's
1: no work that can't be done. Yeah, right. and going back to Kuiper, what Kuiper would say is that there's no department of life that that is not subjected to the lordship of Jesus Christ. No. Remembering in the Great Commission that God said, God Jesus said, um, to go into all the world and teach men to obey everything that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But He predicated this statement on, he, he set the basis for the statement on all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples, right? Therefore go, teach them to be obedient. I am the Lord of all of it, Jesus says. I'm the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation tells us is, is the position of Jesus, okay? and And what that means is that when he says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, what he's saying is there's not a department of human life where my word is not sufficient.
0: That is another charge that comes up. Again, going back to like the um, reform bros, it would seem like you mentioned, they love the Lord of the Guard with all their mind, Mm -hmm. full stop, period. And, you know, practical life is left to um, motivational speaker pastors who are very good at hyping people up without actual depth and knowledge of why God created you. Like the chief end of men is... To glorify God and join forever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people say, "Well, these these people are the ones who motivate me and give me practical advice." And the you know reform theologians are just like the backbone of old, dead history and very pra- like very theoretical theology. And what Kuyper is saying, like those are married, and God commands us to love him with. Everything, and it applies to your sexuality. It applies to your work. It applies to your marriage. It applies to um, all the cultural aspects that we're facing right now. It applies to politics. It applies to you being upset at your dog for puking on. like Every little detail, because it's God's world, is encompassed in Scripture, and therefore it's Reformed.
1: It's not just subjected to Him in the sense that it has to be carried out. Like God doesn't care about what we do just so long as we carry it out. Uh, in a way that's pleasing to him, right? Mm-hmm. He, he also cares about the ends. He doesn't, he doesn't just care about the means, right? He okay, before, you, before ends and means. Can you
0: define those <laughs> just practically?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so an, a, a means would be uh, the way in which you carry out whatever your given goal is. Your end mm-hmm. is what is the goal, right? And so it, it's not only enough to... Let, let's say, okay, we're going to go into business, and we're gonna go into business to make a lot of money, okay? God is not just the Lord of the means; he's he's not just the Lord of like, okay, we need to be honest and forthright, and we need to be uh, loving the Lord our God in the way we go about business. No, he's also the Lord of the end,
0: meaning he knows the exact price of things that come down. Like we will, he knows exactly the amount of money we're gonna make in our business. Not and only that, he determined that. And but he, if, if your set
1: objective isn't something that's in line with Christ, you're in disobedience. And and the way I would put this to you, okay, so think of like St. Luke's, right? St. Luke's in here in Boise, Idaho, is is one of the main hospitals, right? And you say, why does St. Luke's exist? If your answer is to to help sick people or to save the people that are hurting, or all that stuff, you're wrong. St. Luke's does not exist to help sick people. St. Luke's does not, in God's world, exist to help. Uh, the people who, who need some kind of medical treatment. That's not what they're for. In the first instance, they are for what, the re- what all of human existence is for, which is to glorify God. Why are we here? Why, why do we do this St. Luke's thing? Why do we do this medical thing? To glorify God. How are we going to glorify God? By doing medicine with excellence. Why? Because Christ is the great physician and we follow him this is and this is the if i could encapsulate the reformed movement and why it's captured so many hearts it's this in and of itself that that in obedience to god god is pleased in all that i do okay does that make sense like yeah. like like god actually cares about uh, whatever it is, like carrying the mail or or tile or real estate or, and I just re- brought those up because that's kind of <laughs> that's what, what we, we do, we all do. Um, right? He does not He's not just a god who cares about what's preached on Sunday morning. He cares. He's a god who cares about what's carried out on Sunday morning and brought into Monday morning. Yeah, like that. That's what God is after. God is not after His church.
0: God is after the world. And, and that would bring a very clear, like. I guess it would bring very clear motivation to all Christians to obey the way they should according to Scripture. Right. So there isn't just this, you know, well, we're going to do this because God says so. It, 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 it ignites the heart to obey Christ, not only to do it monotonously, but there is this actual pursuit of God right. out of passion and sheer joy. Yeah, in, in Romans
1: 1.5 and also at the end of chapter 16, you get this phrase, um, the obedience of faith that Paul is writing to produce in them the obedience of faith or the obedience that comes from faith or the obedience of God that, that kind of um, is the result of them having faith in God, right? That's the idea. Um, it's the only time that that phrase is, is, in, is um, found in the New Testament and it's, it, it bookends the greatest greatest explanation of what salvation is. He's like, I'm writing to you so that you will obey out of faith. And then he goes on to give the most intellectual explanation of what salvation is ever recorded in human history. And then he gets to the end and he says, and this was so that you will obey out of faith. Right. That's the reformed. Um, that, 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 that is the heartbeat of the reformed movement. That we would know our God. And as a result, and if you miss this, I would, I would say you're not actually Reformed. You just like big books.
2: You, you just- and, and you cannot lie.
1: Yeah, you cannot lie. <laughs> well, uh, you can lie with your life. Um, <laughs> like, um, you just like big books, okay? Um, if, if you're not out here trying to obey Jesus, you've missed the whole Reformed movement. Like, we love you, we care about you, we're, we're beckoning you to come obey Jesus because you're very well informed on how to but you're you're choosing not to particularly in the instances and I know we're going to get kind of to this uh, but particularly in the instances where your reformed understanding right your, your intellectual ability to grasp these harder harder truths that are truly there in the scriptures uh, leads you to be arrogant leads you to be pompous leads you to divide with your brethren and um, in, in various ways
0: this brings up a great example I remember Zach a good friend of ours uh, he was, he went to California and he just went for a conference and he was hanging out with the church and that particular youth group decided to go and just um, minister and kind of try to uh, street preach and just kind mm-hmm. of um, pass out tracts and there was kind of a convergence of two um, churches one was like really Baptist Reformed and the other was just um, like, nom- 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 like non-denominational more um, Pentecostal Russian And the Pentecostal Russian people were just attempting to pass out tracts and speak to people about who God is and kind of like leading them to, um, you know, possibility of repentance and just sharing the gospel. And the Reformed people were there, but instead of engaging in uh, evangelism, they were criticizing in the way the Charismatic or the Pentecostal people were presenting the gospel, right? They were criticizing their brothers as they're trying to fulfill the Great Commission, did they have possibility, the possibility of erring in certain small details? Yeah. But it just kind of paints a picture of those who try to obey with ignorance perhaps, which is you know not the best thing because we want people to acknowledge God's scripture and do it for the right reasons and correctly but it is counterproductive to criticize your brothers because you have knowledge, but you're not participating in pursuing um, people with the gospel.
1: Right. Well, and that's, and that's um, the end of Acts 18, right? Is, is this story about Apollos and um, he, it says that he only knew the gospel of according to John. He he was not really well informed of the scriptures. And after he's done talking, uh, Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and they're like, Hey,
0: have you been baptized? Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Learn this more excellent way, right? And if, if we in the Reformed community, if we, and I wouldn't say the Christian community, honestly, mm-hmm. because um, that's what we are, right? We're one body, one faith, one baptism, Ephesians 4, right? This is who we are. Um, it, but if, if those to whom God has gifted a lot of knowledge cannot humble themselves and say, okay, you know what? Maybe there's a better way of doing this. We're, we're not against you we're for you we're, we're of the same lineage we are against rome we are against the people that say you need another mediator to get to jesus right which is which is the the instance of the of the reformation itself right the, the reformation was fought because martin luther essentially looked at the looked at the church of rome and said i can go directly to god to have my sins forgiven and whether you're arminian wesleyan methodist calvinist Reformed Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever. we all stand on that ground. I can pray and I don't need a priest.
0: Yeah, we don't we don't need uh, not only do we not need a priest for uh, our sins to be forgiven, but even to understand what like going back to what Tom said, to understand what God has written, we don't go to some other man. we include tradition, we include the church and we discuss things about scripture, but we can actually read God's word, one, understand it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and three, actually live it out and have the power to live it out. Right. You know, especially according to Romans, like, you know, he has placed a spirit in us that we can actually live these things out. Right. We, we have the power to be not be slaves of sin, but to be slaves of Christ.
2: And, and wasn't that, like, the one of the big things of the Reformation uh, that started in the 1500s was that the priests... Were the ones that read the scripture, right? They and they read it in Latin, to the point where like the people didn't have the scriptures for themselves, Which, and, the, and the printing press pretty much helped the Bible go out to all the people, and the you know the German translation and the English translation, they all helped people actually have the Word of God. Yeah,
1: no, and I think to to our brethren who are who are not convinced of like let's say the doctrines of grace, mm-hmm. right. I'm, I'm not quickly gonna...
0: quickly the doctrines of grace would be <laughs> uh,
1: the the what's typically thought of as Calvinism tulip um, total depravity un, unconditional election limited atonement um here's ir, um, a grace yeah. and perseverance of the saints right um, God's sovereignty and salvation
0: yeah. Yeah, that, that's that... that's what is like viewed as reformed theology right. like if you ask anyone their, their first reaction would be like oh you're one of those people you believe in tulip right and so I would say that um if you are a Christian, um,
1: it, and and what I mean by that is, if you are somebody who believes that you have direct access to God, like when you pray, God actually hears you, you're reformed.
0: And that that, that like, to a lot of people, that makes a wide wide it tent. It is.
1: It's a wide tent. It's a great and glorious tent, and we should in the the, like what people typically think of as the reformed community and in scare quotes reformed, right, should be come and welcome to Jesus. Like like come, come and pray. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this great that we don't we're not Catholic,
0: but some of the bros, which I used to be one of like some of the bros would say like no, you have to have these very specific. Um, points of doctrine in order to be included in my camp right now now
1: um as as those um to whom god has revealed himself in the scriptures you know to to our to our brothers and sisters who don't have a great grasp of the scriptures which is really what we're talking about when we're talking Mm -hmm. about like doctrine and and all these kind of beliefs um you know, we need to be patient. We need to be loving. We need to be patient. We need to point them to the scriptures. Like I'm not going to stand here and say you need to believe in in tulip, right? What I'm going to stand here and say is you've been saved. You need to be committed to obeying what Jesus says in all of the scriptures. Okay, that's that's the goal. Like if we can accomplish that, let the chips fall where they may. I am totally good with that. If, if, if what you're going to tell me is that you're going to come here with a, with a um, high view of your free will over the sovereignty of God, but you're committed to learning about God and you're committed to obeying with all of your mind everything you find in the scriptures, and you're committed to obeying with all of your
0: strength everything you find in the scriptures, praise God, keep going. In other words, you would rather take someone who has a very low view of God's sovereignty in regards to that. Like in election. In election. Over the Catholic who has extreme high view of God's sovereignty, but has no access to God other than through the mother church. Yeah. And you would say like, that guy's actually my brother because we share one baptism, one body, and the spirit makes us one, in Christ, and we are the bride versus the one who says, hey, you still have to do some work mm-hmm. to atone for your sin. Right, And, and um, I guess we, we talked about this early, a little bit earlier, but the idea of actually having assurance in faith. Uh, Kuiper talks about the idea, like, we uh, we as Christians and Protestants um, throughout the ages were burnt at the stake and, and refused to let go of their faith because they had such assurance that, that they had peace with God and their sins were forgiven. right? And it, and it came from the idea that the cross actually accomplished something. That's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Um, the Reformed view of the atonement and the cross. Not even, let's just, like, because the atonement kind of has very specific things, but just the cross in general. Like, when Jesus Christ is dying, what actually happens there and, and what is provided for us?
1: Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> like, wait. Great. Heck of a segue. Um, Sorry, that yeah, was like yeah. a um, hard no, right no. turn. It, it is. It is. Um, so, you, you want to talk about the atonement, like the efficacious nature of Christ's blood? Yes,
0: because, because the, all the outflow of my desire to obey God and to love God and to live out the Bible mm-hmm. boils down to the fact that I actually found the cross. And the cross became my entire world. It became my most cherished possession. Christ himself mm. died for me. And as an outflow of that, I pursue scripture. I pursue God. I pursue reading it and obeying him. Mm. That's kind of where my starting point was.
1: Yeah, okay, which makes sense. Yeah, so so in essence, like the whole um, issue of Reformed theology is, have you been bought?
0: Yeah, has there been a price paid for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so like in the atonement, because make, let me make this more clear. The Roman Catholic view or, or like the view in which the reform flowed out from, there was no opportunity for you to live by faith and faith alone. There was always a need for you to do something in order for God to look at you and say, that is someone who has no sin imputed to them. There was always a, an attachment where you had to accomplish something in order to be pleasing to God. And so um, if, if the Reformation stands for one thing, it is um, Martin Luther's quote that man will live by faith and faith alone. And my big thing is like, what is the faith in? And what, did, what do we actually hold our faith to? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, that, that um, Christ's blood... Um
1: didn't fall outside of the bucket. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, it, Christ's blood isn't lost. Christ didn't bleed for nothing. Every ounce of Christ's blood uh, will go to pay for something, I think is the idea that you're, mm-hmm. that you're driving at, right? And that's kind of this idea of the, of the atonement from a, from a, um, a reformed, Position, right? That I actually was intentionally bought with a price, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is that is that kind of weird? Yeah, yeah yeah okay, um and and it does it reminds me of, of, of John chapter ten where he, Jesus talks about his sheep and he he, um, he says uh, and I, in verse twenty eight and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Right. And so uh, I bring this up to say, number one, in the first instance, um, again going back to this idea of Reformed theology being simply biblical theology, I would much rather point you to the Scriptures than point you to Calvin.
0: Okay. So in other words, when when people who um, dislike the re- the Reformed movement because uh, the claim is um, you really adore and almost venerate old dead guys because they had some kind of extremely um, unique knowledge that you think is um, almost supernatural or almost inspired. You would say, well, we can just throw those books in the trash and Mm -hmm. we could still find an objective understanding of scripture and and those, those, those will match up. Obviously, you know, tradition is very important and people can inspire and guide us, inspire in the sense of like, guide us to the truth throughout generations. Well, but-
1: I'd, I'd say let tradition be hanged. Like, like let, let tradition do the, do the um, jig at the end of a, of a gibbet. Like I, I don't care about your tradition. I don't care what I care about is the Bible and the Bible tells me that I need to um, venerate. I need to honor those that have gone before. I need to honor my elders right? Hebrews chapter 13, honor your elders, uh, as those whose faith you follow that doesn't expire at death. Okay. Uh, if, if your elder, right, your, your grandfather was a faithful man, um, goes home to be with the Lord. My, my grandfather died, um, about five years ago, a mm-hmm. uh, faithful, faithful man, right? Um, because he's dead, do I just get to not honor him? no no the the statute of limitations on that command is like unless they die, no no that you don't find that in Hebrews. that's not part of the command Honor those that have gone before those who are faithful whose faith you follow honor them right there's heroes of the faith that have lived and they have died right c t Studd and Jim Elliot Jonathan edwards and and um uh, George Whitfield and even Calvin and Luther right even even them
0: but 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 what what I'm
1: saying is is we shouldn't look at them because tradition is valuable. We should look at them because the Scripture is valuable, and they staked everything they had on the Scriptures. And they point us to the Scripture. Amen. Right. Just in the same way that your faithful elder at your church looks at you and says, you need to go read your Bible. J.C. Ryle, um, I've got a book in in the back, and and, uh, J.C. Ryle has a book called um, How Readest Thou? How do you read? How's your reading going? Right? And at the end of every chapter, you want to throw the book across the room and pick up your Bible and just read it. Right? J.C. Ryle's been dead for well over like 100 years, almost coming up on 150 years. He's still discipling me. He's still pointing me back to the book. Right? He's still pointing me back to the Bible. Th- that's what I'm talking about. Right? Is this idea that the reformers ultimately looked at the scriptures and said, this is what you need to believe. Right? Jesus said, I'm not going to lose any of my sheep. Jesus said, I purchased them with my blood. Mm -hmm. If I called them, they're mine. And I will not lose them. Right? I'm not so jazzed on the idea of a limited atonement. I am jazzed on Jesus not losing any of his sheep. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
0: We are are not excited about some kind of view that we are in an exclusive club. Mm -mm. Rather than that... We are in the club which Jesus paid for. Yeah, I, I don't care. Like, frankly, I don't care about clubs. Well, I'm <laughs> saying... No, no, no. no, no like, like I, I, get what, I get
1: what you're saying, Yeah. right? I care about Jesus. Yeah. Where is he? I will be with him, right? Like, if if are sizes, Jesus clearly says there's sides, okay? Um, he who does not gather with me is against me. Jesus, Jesus says that. He's very clear. Um, I want to be with Jesus. I don't care. I don't care where that leads me. I'm gonna go with the one who bought me. I'm gonna go with the one who paid for me. I'm gonna go with the one who bled on Golgotha and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for my benefit on the cross? I'm gonna go with the one who said it is finished. I'm gonna go with the one who took my sins down into death and me down into death and my baptism signifies that I went there with him. Romans chapter 6 verse 3. And I'm going to go with the one into eternal life because he brought me with him into eternal life. I'm with him. I, I don't care. If Calvin's right, praise God. If Calvin's wrong, throw him by the wayside and move on. I'm not. Like ultimately, my allegiance isn't to Calvin. Calvin.
0: And again, that's something that a lot of Reformed people need to hear and be encouraged in because um, we can, it's not about including people in the camp, it's about recognizing that Christ is the goal and the pursuit of all Christians. Right.
1: And Calvin didn't die for my sins, Jesus did. But I do love Calvin because he loves that same Jesus and he points me to that same Jesus. In the same way that a faithful father points his little child and says, My son, I know you've sinned. You've disobeyed your mother. You've disobeyed your father. Right? And and now now you're going to have punishment. But there's forgiveness for your sins. And he he points, that faithful father points his little five-year-old to Jesus. Right? That's why I love Calvin. Because he points me to Jesus
2: hello everybody that was the end of this interview part one please stay tuned for part two which should continue and end our discussion with nick doom have a good day everyone